you know, we can uh, talk about and go on and, and everything, but with Ezra and Nehemiah, it's actually a pretty strong connection to at least the situation in Galatia. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah, if you know, that happened at least um, about 500 years before the time of Christ. And now we come to the time of Christ and, and we find that, that same problem of syncretism. We talked about for the past couple months, that same problem of trying to, you know, not just accept Christianity, but to try to, you know, make some adjustments to it so that it somehow connects and fits with us. Um, same problem that they're going to be having here. You know, I think whenever I start a new series, I, you know, I always want to let people kind of know, like, why, why Galatians? You know, we talked about Ezra and Nehemiah, that, you know, the reason for that is because we knew what would happen in 2021. There would be this transition of people coming back, and at, at, and at our church, some pretty significant things happened in 2020. And so people who last time they were here was back in 2019, early 2020, it's a different church. I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if I were just to say who's here today who wasn't here in 2019, there would be a pretty significant number. A lot of things have happened, not just in the people who are here, but also in the, in the, the ministries um, and bringing in um, associate pastors and things like that. And so that's why we did it. I wanted to talk about how this much bigger transition that happened, you know, 2,500 years ago, how, how God helped people through that and how he could help us in our situation. But then, move to Galatians. Why Galatians? And I, I think it's important that, that we get back to certain things that are, that are just non-negotiable. You know, so much of what's happening in our culture today is all about, let's try to figure out how we can get along. And, and I'm all for getting along. But I'm not wanting to get along if we're, if we're going to compromise truth. And especially essential, key truth. We, we, we need to know what the gospel is. And I think Galatians captures that really well. And ultimately, we're going to get to this, what I think is the great summary statement of Christianity, but it can only be understood if we understand the context of Galatians. But it's where Paul will later write, all that matters is faith working through love. I usually try to come up with a clever title. Didn't need to. Paul took care of it 2,000 years ago. Today, we're going to just look at the first few verses, but before we get there, you know, I wanted to, you know, just talk about this very important, this very important idea that Christianity, that the gospel, it's not just the best of many ideas. It is the only hope. The only hope. I, I was reading um, this article, and it's in this area that's called futurology. Now, most of you could probably figure out what futurology is. It's, you know, somehow the study of the future, and you're like, how can you study the future? It hasn't happened yet. 
Um, but it's really looking at different trends in society and it's looking at different things that are happening in, in culture, civilizations, and, and they're, they're looking ahead and they're trying to think, where are things going? And uh, I don't have good news for you here. According to like, some of the leading futurologists, that they are predicting the end of human civilization within this century. In fact, some of them are saying the end of human civilization in, within this decade. It's bleak. Now, I'm not telling you they're right, but what I'm telling you is these are people that are looking at things and what they think, what they are seeing is things are falling apart. It's not this picture that we get that, that has been kind of predominant since perhaps the 19th century when kind of the evolutionary idea took hold in all of our social sciences and all of our understanding of history that human beings are progressing and we're getting better and better and better. And we're, you know, we're evolving. And if you're Christian, you know, you're thinking like, oh, it's God's kingdom is, is spreading. And, and if you're not Christian, then you're just thinking like, oh, human beings are becoming more enlightened. Well, these futurologists, by the way, who, from what I can read, aren't even remotely Christian, that's not what they're seeing. You know, they're looking at even things that we see happening in our, in our society, in Hawaii, we're somewhat protected from it. But if you go to the mainland more and more, you see a polarization, polarization happening in American culture. And, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've talked about this before. I've talked about that when, when human beings, when we're just left on our own, if, if there is no help, if God's either not there or he's there and he has no interest in helping us, then all of this that we do, I mean, I only see it turning out one of three ways. And because all of the ideas of utopia, as I've said before, they all break down when two kids want the same cookie. You know, we can... We can talk about sharing, we can talk about getting along and cooperating, but when two kids want the same cookie, when two kids want the same toy, not a toy just like that toy, the same toy, you know there's no reasoning here. And of course, there's a part of us that never grows up where human beings we want the same thing somebody else wants. So all of those ideas of like, oh, let's just be free as long as we don't hurt one another. Well, it doesn't really work. So how does this end? Well, how this ends is one or more group, you know, one or more of, the, of groups in society are going to conquer the others and somehow eliminate them. That's one way. Another way is like one or more of these groups is going to indoctrinate all the others so that they are the prevailing view. So there's elimination, there's conversion. And finally, again, there's this 
idea that, oh, we just will, which is kind of the path we think we're following, we'll just learn to tolerate each other's differences. So we're finding like those differences become more and more pronounced. And so we, we, we look at, you know, what's, what's here, and if we think about where things are going, where things are trending, I mean, you can, you can think like, oh, it's, it's getting better. We're becoming more united, more harmony, more peace. Or maybe you have a little bleaker look. You see, Galatians is all about hope. And by the time we're done with Galatians, by the time this letter is, we've gone through this letter and we've studied it and done our preaching and our Bible studies on it, what I hope is is that what we'll understand is that we will know what we are hoping for. That we know what we're hoping for. I think that's part of the problem that even Christians have. They have lost sight of what God has said is His purpose. They don't necessarily have a strong sense of what is the kingdom? What does it mean if God is reigning? We need to know what we're hoping for. And we need to know the only way to accomplish that hope. I kind of gave you a hint that left on our own, it's not going to happen. We can make something kind of look like it, but it will mean that there will be losers. There will be people that need to be controlled or eliminated. And we need to not only know what the only way is, we need to know why. Why is it the only way? A lot of you will say, Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father, and I'll say, why? And you'll say, because he said it in John 14, 6, and I'll say, amen, great. But that's because I believe the Bible is God's word, and I'm glad you know it. But what about the person who doesn't believe that? Why is Jesus the only way to the Father? It's what I hope we can unpack here. You see, we live in this world where the people who still believe in God, they believe God got it generally right. Like God has a, he's got a good plan. He's got it generally right. But they don't really believe it's the only plan. And they think like, you know, God's got it generally right. He's got the general idea, that love thing, you know, we like that. But some of the rest of it, let's see if we can modify it a bit. What Paul's going to present for us in the letter of Galatians is that there's only three options. There's the gospel of law. There's the gospel of lawlessness. And there's the gospel of grace. And only the gospel of grace is the only one that gives us hope. And so we come to this letter Paul wrote, probably his first letter, at least the first letter we have in the New Testament. It may have been one of the first 
um, writings in the New Testament. Um, probably James is written about the same time. Maybe James is written a little bit before. And then we have uh, you know, perhaps Gospel of Mark or Gospel of Matthew written around the same time or a little bit after. But this is pretty early. Um, Paul's been a Christian and been serving for about about 15 years, so it's not like he's a brand new believer and this is his, these are his wonderful thoughts. But he's writing to these, these churches that he had helped start, and they're in this area called Galatia. So it's not just one church, it's multiple churches. And the situation is that they had immediately received the gospel from Paul and from others, and they had received the gospel of grace. And they were so, like, you know, so happy that, you know, that, that they, they could hear this because most of them are, are Gentiles. And as Gentiles, you know, they were always kind of, you know, they believed in God and they believed in the God of the Hebrew scriptures, but they were always outsiders. And now, through Jesus Christ, they had a way to be forgiven, to have a way to be accepted into God's family, to have a way to be, to be righteous before God. But, but there's been, there's been some things that are, that are happening at the same time. You see, Christianity, it's, it's coming from Judaism. All of the early Christians, they're, they're Jewish. Paul is a Pharisee. All of Jesus' disciples, they're Jewish. And this is not a rejection of Judaism. That's never like presented in Scripture, that Christianity has come to, to you know, just say everything that happened before was wrong. No, it's, it's a continuation. And so there's these people who, who didn't just grow up in Judaism, they can look back centuries and see what's happened. They observe these festivals every year that remember what God did 1,000 to 1,400 years earlier. All of this is happening. There's the temple they go to. There's the synagogues. And then when Jesus Christ comes, He's seen as one of them. And they know he's different. They know he's more than just a great teacher. They view him as the Messiah, but they don't view him as someone who's come to erase Judaism. And so they're having a legitimate crisis, a legitimate struggle of trying to understand this gospel of Jesus Christ but at the same time, trying to understand what about Judaism needs to be let go and what needs to be held on to. And here's the key question. What needs to be required of new people, new believers who aren't Jewish? When a lot of this is happening at the beginning, when we read in the book of Acts, at the very beginning in the book of Acts of the church, this isn't even a thought for them. If anything, they're only thinking about 
the different types of Jewish people there are. There are the more traditional Jews that are in the Bible called Hebraist, and then there's the ones that were ethnically Jewish, but they were culturally Greek, Roman, whatever. And they were, you know, they were like the, you know, the churchgoers who only go on Christmas and Easter. That's who they were. You know, they kind of, sort of believed, but really they were Greek, they were Roman. And they were called Hellenized Jews or Hellenist. So there, you know, we read about little conflict even between them in the book of Acts. But as Christianity begins to grow and begins to spread, they, they, they're suddenly trying to struggle with this. How, how Jewish do these Gentile Christians have to be? For us, we're like, ah, oh, that's such an easy question. It's, it's not an easy question. We actually struggle with the form of that question even today. Because all of our churches have a, have a culture. All of our churches have some kind of culture. And sometimes it's a, it's a culture that kind of looks like the surrounding culture. And sometimes it's kind of a unique to that church. So when a new person comes in, when a new believer comes in, or when just a person comes that's a Christian but they're new to the church, how much do we want them to be like us? And in what way? And if they're not like us, how accepting are we going to be of them? It's, it's not a weird question. It's not something like, oh, why are those Jewish Christians got that big hang-up? We struggle with the same thing. I mean, if somebody started showing up uh, on the mainland, I once was talking to a guy who, older guy, he grew up in the South, Bible Belt, and he's just like, I just, you know, I just can't accept the Lord's Supper from a deacon who's not wearing a tie. And I was like, you know what? God bless you. You're honest. But think about us, you know? You know, how would, how would we look at the person who keeps... You know, showing up in the, in, the, in the suit and tie. We'd have the opposite feeling like, what? This guy thinks he's better than us? What's wrong with him? You know, why can't he, you know, why can't he be like us? And it's, so it's, it's not a totally crazy out there question, but for the Jewish Christians, it's even more so. This is not just cultural. This isn't just practices. This is... This is the faith that they have lived and preserved and protected for centuries. And so some, some of them, well-meaning, but not fully understanding what Jesus Christ came to do, are going to the, to the churches in Galatia and saying, you know what, guys? You know, great. You, be, you believed in Jesus. Great, you were baptized. Now, now, if you want to be fully accepted, this is what you got to do. Here's the things you got to keep doing. And somewhere near the top of the list, especially for you men, circumcision. 
If you don't know what circumcision is, ask your neighbor. I mean your neighbor right here, not don't go home and ask your neighbor. Freak people out. Right? So, so they're, they're saying like you, you need to do these things and you don't just need to do them because that's how we do things. You don't just need to do them because that's how things have always been done. What they're saying is you need to do these things if you really fully want to be righteous before God. It's not just a preference thing. It's not just ethnocentricity. They believe this is the way to being right before God because it's what they have done. And so Paul writes this letter. There are two letters that Paul writes where he is angry. He is just livid. One of them, 1 Corinthians. When you read 1 Corinthians, you need to read it with angry Paul voice because he's angry. And when you read the first few chapters of Galatians, you need to do the same. He is not trying to be like diplomatic or tactful. He is like, boom. It's a problem, guys. It's a huge problem. He's angry. And why is he angry? He's angry because he knows, he knows that the very heart of the gospel is being ripped out. He knows that what's going to result, if that's allowed to continue, is that Christianity will just become like every other religion. This humans trying to do their best, following some code, some ethics, some, some morals, and just try to be good people. And you know what? God will love you for it. He knows where it's going. And he knows that it's not just that he's right, and it's not just that it would be the death of Christianity, but that this, this is what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to show us this is the only way. And if you do anything else, if you believe anything else, there is something else seriously wrong about what you believe. If you just think human beings are just misguided, if you think human beings just need to be put in better circumstances, better situations, better educated, and then they'll become, they'll become right, no. And so we come to Galatians, and Paul starts out like he starts every letter. He leaves out some key things that he puts in letters when he's happy, but he puts all the main things in here. And remember, when these letters were received, they were not read silently. They were read out loud. Everybody's there. So here's Paul in Galatians chapter 1. He says, he says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, 
grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul doesn't just say hello. Paul somehow is able to say hello and share the gospel while he's saying hello. It's an art. Um, but he's also establishing some pretty fundamental things that he's going to talk about later. One, he's going to, he's, he's you know, make no mistake, he's asserting his authority. And he's, what he's basically saying at the beginning is, I'm not under someone else's authority. That the authority I have is the same authority that the other leaders in the church have. That it comes from God. Comes through Jesus Christ. And he also makes clear that they understand that he's not standing alone. He's not the, the one guy standing against this huge tide of people that are you know, trying to take the church in the wrong direction. It says, all the brothers who are with me. And then he gives them the greeting. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does this in every one of his letters. Every letter he gives that greeting. But in so doing, he's, he's actually setting up what he's going to talk about. He's connecting some things. And one of the things he knows that, that is happening among those who are trying to lead the people astray, and, and the worst of the false teachers, they actually have a name. They're called Judaizers. And what, what Paul is trying to help them understand is that God's plan is the gospel of Jesus Christ. His plan is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not plan B or plan C. Like plan A wasn't like, you know what, I'm going to make the Garden of Eden and I'm going to put Adam and Eve in there and then, hey, that's awesome, I created this cool world. Oh man, they messed it up. Time for plan B. Right? Plan B, I'm going to get Israel and I'm going to make this covenant with them and, oh man... That didn't work out either. All right, plan C. That's why it's Christ, because it's a C. Plan C. No, it's not. Um, no, he's not saying that. In other letters, he will say, before the foundations of the world, God had this plan. It's always been his plan. Jesus isn't a rival God. He's not a new God. He isn't God with a new name. He's not replacing God. You see, people on either side, either extreme, could fall prey to those kind of understandings. You know, we've talked about the Judaizers. We've talked about those that are trying to get the Gentile Christians to become Jewish. But there was the other side. That's always there in the, in, in the first 
church and really continues on. And those are the ones who are like, they are the ones that are sometimes called, I'll, I'll give you the fancy word, antinomianism, antinomianists. They were the ones that were lawless, like, hey, Jesus paid it all, forgave us, we accepted it. Awesome, thank you, Jesus. Now I'm just going to go live my life however I want. They were more of the mindset that, oh, we can just get rid of all that Hebrew scripture, Judaism stuff. Paul's saying, no. God's plan is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And make no doubt, he is God the Father. He is the God that we read about from Genesis all the way forward. Same God. Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's his plan. And this connection to Judaism, it's unbreakable. Paul makes that connection. Because this is the same God. And it's not the God who's changed his mind. This is the same God. The second thing that Paul introduces here is he says, the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. He gives us right up there, Jesus died for our sins. He died for our sins. You see, what is, you know, what is um, Paul introducing here that he's going to come back to? He's introducing here is, you know what? If if the whole point was Jesus died so that Gentiles could become Christians and then really just follow the Hebrew scriptures, why, why did Jesus die? I mean, is, is, was that it? Why would he have to die? Why, why couldn't... God have just let Jesus come down and tell us, hey guys, um, let's all just start following the Hebrew Scriptures better. Let's do that. No, he's, 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 Paul's introducing that Jesus died. One thing all these people have in common, all three different Gospels have in common, is they have a high regard for Jesus Christ a high regard for what Jesus did for them. And Paul is reminding them, Jesus Christ, the one you love, the Son of God, he died for you. And later on he's going to say, why then do you think you have to go back to be slaves to the law? He makes this, this centrality of what he's going to talk about is that Jesus' vicarious suffering, suffering for you, this substitutionary atonement, paying the penalty that we could not pay. Why would God have him do that if, if all it was was just to return to what was before? I'll give you a clue give you a hint because there was no other way 
there's something about us. There's something about our world. There's something about the evil age. There's something about sin that prevents us from doing it any other way. We needed God. We needed the Son of God to intervene. The penalty of sin is death. And we sometimes think of that as like God is some divine executioner. But when we read Paul writing later on in Romans, what we find out is when, when he says the penalty is death, it's not that God is waiting to, to extinguish you. And I'm not telling you like there's not punishment or eternal punishment. I'm just saying when it's talking about death, the wages of sin is death, those wages are immediate because sin separates us from God. And there is no life outside a relationship with God. It's death. So we have Jesus Christ who comes and he dies for our sins. You see, a lot of churches today, they don't like to talk about this stuff. They like, they like to talk about God and Jesus saving us. They like to talk about him giving us new life. I like to talk about those things too. As a matter of fact, the second half of Galatians, it's all about that and it's awesome. But we need to get over ourselves. We need to stop thinking that we're so awesome without Christ. We need to understand that we're sinners. We need to understand as Christians that if it were not for Jesus Christ, that we would not know the hope and the love and the peace and the joy and the purpose that only comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. We get used to Jesus being around. We get used to all the benefits he provides. And then we take it for granted. One of the key things is, if we're going to maintain gospel of grace, that what that does for the Christian is it always overwhelms us with a sense of gratitude to Jesus Christ and extending that grace to all of those who are around us. We walk in a spirit of gratitude and grace. But as soon as we start thinking, we're pretty good. Or, yeah, I was bad, but it wasn't that bad. It all changes. Then we start to become judgmental. Then we start to become divisive. Then we start to compare ourselves to one another. The second point he makes there in that same, that same clause, he says, he, he died to deliver us from the present evil age. Jesus died to deliver us from the power of this world. He didn't just come to clean us up. He didn't just come to to, you know, get rid of the sin in our lives. He didn't just come to, to give us away to the Father and remove the penalty. No. 
He came to deliver us from the power of this world. That's the power that controls us. That's the power that, that makes us live for ourselves, live in fear, be afraid to really love and to open and to be vulnerable and transparent. It's the power of the age that is predominantly driven by the need to, to survive. And if I've survived, then it's the need to move myself as far away from death and threat as possible. And we don't call it that. We call it other things like security and, you know, planning and comfort. But understand that if my life is driven by my personal comfort, how can it be driven by the Lordship of Jesus Christ? It cannot be. It doesn't mean Jesus doesn't want you to be comfortable. He just doesn't want comfort to drive your life. It's the power of this world that we are slaves to. It's the outside forces that enslave us, but it's also the power of this world within us that we're enslaved to. We just live and we die and try to do the best we can in between. It's not hope. The hope of the kingdom is the hope of eternal life. And eternal life doesn't just mean duration. It doesn't just mean you're going to live forever. No. It's eternal life. It's living the way we were intended to live. With the fullness of joy. The fullness of peace. The fullness of love. It's the power of this world Jesus came to deliver us from, but he also came to deliver us to the new world, the new age, the age of God's Spirit dwelling in your lives, the age of God's law being written in your heart. And that's why it's the deliverance is not something we'll experience you know, years from now. But we can know that right now. And then we look right after that. He says, according to the will of our God and Father. Again, this gets back to this plan, this idea that this is God's plan. This was according to God's will. This was God's plan. You see, even if there were other ways, even if there were other ways, there, there, there aren't other ways, but even if there were other ways, this is the one God said, this is the one I planned. This is the one I say will happen. This is the way that in the end and in the beginning and through it all, I will be. It's his plan. It's his will. But make no mistake, in how God created, 
And how he created hum- human beings with the capacity to do, to do good and to do evil, with the, with the ability to choose, that the only way to the kingdom is this way. The gospel of grace, the supernatural intervention of Jesus Christ into this world, and then the supernatural intervention of the Holy Spirit making us new in our lives. It's the only way. Now, if you have a different conception of what the hope for humanity is, if you have a different conception for what would be the best way that human beings could live together and exist together, then you may come up with another way. But if you understand that the kingdom is this community of those who are united by God's love, and they've come to that through faith in Jesus Christ, and they've been made a new creation, and in this community, love is lived and experienced perfectly, If that's what you believe, if that's what your hope is for humanity, this is the only way. It's the only way. You see, if we're going to have a world where, where we can have freedom, where we're not relying on somebody forcing us or, or us forcing others to do what is right, Something has to happen to us. We have to be changed. This isn't an arbitrary decision by God. It isn't God going, you know, onto his computer and saying, here, I got six plans. Which one should I use this time? No. It's the only way. And I love how Paul ends this. It says, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom the glory be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's another thing he's going to unpack for us a little bit more. He's saying all of this is to God's glory. And those of you who've kind of studied with us, you know, in the past couple years, you know when, we, when the Bible talks about glory, it's actually talking about the revelation of God. That God will be revealed and that he will be revealed in this kingdom. And he's revealed in this kingdom that's coming about because of what Jesus Christ did for us. And then what will happen when we have faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. We can know God. We can experience God. He will be revealed. Not just conceptually, in our very lives. It's the only hope. I hope you guys stay with us through, you know, through this study. I hope you can join us on Wednesday nights when we, we go a little bit deeper, get a little bit more detail on some of these things. Because to me, we got to get this right. There's a lot of things we can disagree about. We can disagree about 
mask, no mask, vaccine, no vaccine. You know, we can disagree, of, you know, about a lot of things about pews or folding chairs, you know, all kinds of things we can disagree about. We've got to get this right. And so for me, right now, the most important text that I can study and the most important text I can teach to you is this letter. 